Grace, mercy, and peace be unto all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. The text that I'd like to use as the basis of our consideration this morning is the Old Testament reading, specifically these verses in chapter 8 of Genesis. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Thus far our text. In Christ Jesus, my Christian friends, have you ever received one of those phone calls from someone you think you might know, but you're not exactly certain as to really who it is at the other end of the line? Or perhaps it's a person you've never met, you've never talked to, and you're confused as to whether or not this person is someone you really should talk to. It's so awkward to engage in those kinds of conversations on the phone because it's so difficult to determine what kind of person we're talking to on the other end. In person, we can see the individual's body language. And that's a very basic part of good communication. In person, not only do we see the other individual we're talking to, but we pay a little closer attention to our own words and more intentional about what we say. And we're a bit more careful about how we speak to that other individual. You know, it's not easy to speak with someone that you cannot see, isn't it? And yet, that's somehow the way it is when we speak to God. We can't see him when we pray, and we might wonder what kind of God are we talking to anyway? Abraham certainly knew what kind of God he was speaking to in our text. He was speaking to a just God. He know, knew that the one true God is a God of justice. God was talking here about destroying two most infamously wicked cities of all time, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham asks, will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Abraham knew 
that God would never do such a thing. It's because he's a just God. And he knew that God's justice would indeed punish sin. So Abraham didn't try to defend Sodom and Gomorrah or try to rationalize away their sin. He didn't make excuses for them and in fact didn't even try to comment on their sinfulness at all. He was speaking to a living God who is just and holy. A God who hates sin. A God who punishes sin. And Abraham was simply appealing to God for those who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah who were repentant and righteous. He wasn't pleading for those who had sinned and remained unrepentant. God punishes such people temporally and eternally. And Abraham knew that. But he also knew that God is a God of mercy as well as being a just God. When we speak to God, we should know just what Abraham knew. God hated the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. He hates all sin. Therefore, there's no place for us to rationalize away our sins by saying such things as, well, I'm certainly not as bad as the people of those two ancient cities, or by saying I'm certainly not as sinful as other people I know. We have no business trying to make excuses of our sins before God. We have no defense for the wrongdoing that we commit before God and before man. God is holy, and God hates sin. He hated the sin of those two cities in our text, and he hates our sin as well. He hates our pride and our thanklessness. He hates our greed and our selfishness. He hates our foul language and our lustful thoughts. He hates them all, just as he hated the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. And his justice demands just the same for you and me as for the sinful people of those two cities. So Abraham pleaded for the righteous individuals who lived there. He knew full well that God would, not, would punish the wicked. He did then, and he does now as well. That's why we confess in our liturgy that we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. We know that. And we understand that about God. He is just. Do any of you remember when you were a kid? You might have done something your father had told you never to do. And you knew full well that he would find out. You knew your mother, if your mother uh, wouldn't tell him, then you would have to. Perhaps she even told you that you're going to have to speak to your father when he gets home, and you knew you'd have to let him know what you had done. And you also knew he would undoubtedly be angry 
and you could perhaps even fear, uh, feel a little bit of the fear, but you also knew something else. You knew that your father loved you. And he would likely punish you, but he would punish you in love. He would forgive you. He would still love you. And so you realize you had to take the deep breath and tell him what you had done wrong and apologize. Abraham knew the same thing about his God. There's another side to the almighty God. He is, he's not merely just. He's also gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. Abraham knew that. Oh, how well Abraham knew that. Just a few moments before, God had affirmed a promise that he had made to Abraham many years before, clarifying that within a year, Abraham and Sarah would have a son. That's grace. That's mercy. And furthermore, in the past, God had frequently forgiven Abraham's sins. God had frequently listened to Abraham's prayers. So now in faith, because of God's mercy, Abraham could speak boldly and confidently with God. He pleaded with God because he knew the heart of God. God is just, but even his just, in his justice, he thinks with mercy. Abraham was bold to ask, and although it appears to be the case, Abraham was not haggling with God about how many righteous people would be necessary for God to spare Sodom and Gomorrah. No, he was praying in faith to a gracious God to have mercy for the sake of a few, and especially for the sake of his nephew Lot, uh, Lot and Lot's family. He pleaded until he asked for the preservation of those two cities for the sake of only 10 people, only 10 out of several thousand. And God was willing to spare the cities for only 10. And he was remembering, as I said, his nephew Lot and his family to be among that few of people. Now notice something about God in this situation. Abraham said, let me speak one more time. Let me speak again, so on and so forth. And never once did God lose his patience with Abraham's petition. He never stopped him. He never rebuked him. Abraham says, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. And God was never angry with Abraham about these petitions. He listened, and he answered according to his mercy, his grace, and his love. This gracious God listened to his child Abraham speak and plead with him. Friends, God never tires of listening, never. He will never tire of hearing your prayers either. He will listen with the patience that only God has. 
He loves to hear from his children. And you can never ask too much, but you can ask too little. You can never come to him too often, but you can come too seldom. You cannot try God's patience with your pleading because he will listen and he will answer in his time and in his way according to his mercy. Abraham came in faith to a gracious God. And God promised not to destroy the cities for the sake of ten. And he would have kept that promise could he find ten in the cities. He did save the righteous people of Lot's family in those wicked cities from the hellish destruction, something which, incidentally, according to modern archaeology, is still in evidence today. They feel as though they have found the place of Sodom and Gomorrah on the south end of the Dead Sea. Friends, you have a gracious God who saved you too, just like he saved Lot and his family. In God's justice, he demanded punishment for your sin. In his justice, he threatened you and me with death now and eternally. <clears throat> In his justice, however, he thinks with mercy. He acts to rescue you and me, just as he did Lot and his family. The punishment of a just God is one day going to fall upon this entire planet. God himself never wanted it that way. God has always desired all mankind to be saved, to come to a knowledge of his truth. That's the heart of God. But his justice will fall on this world, and therefore, he's acted to rescue you and me from hellish destruction, just as he did Lot and his family. He did that by sending his very own son to the rescue. God's grace is so magnificent that he satisfied his own justice by punishing not you and me for our sins, but by punishing his very own son. That's what happened on the cross. God was being a just God. On the cross, we see the justice of our God because sin must be punished, and so God punished his own son instead of you and me. His son took our place. His son took on our punishment. His son took all that we deserve, and in doing so, rescued us from the hellish destruction of a just God. In Jesus, we are made righteous. His righteousness has now become our own. On the day of our baptism, we were united with Christ, as our epistle lesson reminds us today, when it says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. We are clothed with righteousness, Christ's righteousness, 
When God looks at us, he sees his son in us. He sees the perfect righteousness. And someday soon, on that last day, when God comes to execute his final, ultimate justice on the earth, he will rescue the, his righteous ones from the wrath and the punishment as sure as he did Lot and his family. This gracious God comes to your rescue. And therefore, this gracious God will listen to you as you come to him to confess your sins and as you come to him in prayer. This gracious God is the kind of God you can talk to and you can know because he is a forgiving God. Jesus taught his disciples in the gospel reading for today to reference God as Father. Like an earthly father to whom we can come with our concerns and requests, we have an even greater, more forgiving heavenly father who loves to hear from us. So what kind of a God do we talk to? We talk to a holy and a just God, the same one with whom Abraham talked. This God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their wickedness and threatens to, to do the same for all who live in unrepentant lives. But Abraham knew something else about God. He knew that the very nature of God is love. And he knew that this love is undeserved and this love that is a love that God desires to pour out on you and me and upon the entire earth. We know that as well that we have been on the receiving end of God's undeserved love or grace. We know that every time that we look at the cross, every time we witness a baptism, every time we hear the words of forgiveness in Jesus' name, pronounced to us every time we come to the Lord's table. I would imagine that most of you are familiar with the photograph painting called Grace. It's a picture of an elderly man whose elbows are resting on a table with a knife and a loaf of bread beside his plate and a family Bible that's opened and spectacles laying near that family Bible with his hands folded at his forehead he's obviously deep in prayer saying grace that's the title of the picture well when Eric Enstrom <clears throat> took that picture he observed and I quote his comment to bow his head in prayer seemed to be characteristic of the elderly visitor. He struck the pose very easily and naturally. Dear people of God, that's the description of the Christian life of faith where prayer is a natural pose and activity of the believers as disciples of Christ. We can come expectantly, confidently, for we're coming to a great God, a loving God, and in the name of Jesus, we know that the Father listens to us and answers our prayers. You know to whom you are talking. 
He's a gracious God filled with all patience, love, kindness, mercy, and he wants to listen to you. You know you can come to him at any time about anything. You know that because you can look at the cross, you can see that he took upon everything for all time for you. This is the God to whom we are talking. All praise and glory and honor be to him alone. Amen. Amen. And may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in true faith in Christ unto life everlasting. Amen. Amen.